From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. Welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And hang on to something, folks, because the appropriations process is about to begin for the new year, the new fiscal year, late as usual, but it is starting to happen. So joining me to talk about that this week is Paul Krozak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Paul. David, thanks for inviting me. Glad you could be here because you've been leading a lot of our coverage lately on the appropriations process for the fiscal year that begins in October. They are starting, right? House appropriators are actually going to start their markups this coming week for their annual, their 12 annual bills that make up the federal budget, long anticipated. But that was the plan is to is to is for that committee to get their bills out in the month of June and bring them to the House floor in July so that they can claim that they've made progress on appropriations. But it, it's a bit of a false start, Paul, right? Because we're really in the same place we were last year. The House is going to advance spending bills on party line votes controlled by Democrats, and these bills we know aren't going to go anywhere because there's no bipartisan deal on overall discretionary spending limits. That's right. The budget proposal from President Biden um, is similar to last year's um, in that there is a a fairly small increase in defense and a much larger increase in non-defense. And uh, that was a non-starter with Republicans last year, and eventually Republicans and Democrats reached agreement on increases in defense and non-defense that were uh, fairly equal, the parity principle. But President Biden has uh, introduced a similar budget proposal this year, which from the Republican perspective is way out of whack. So they have uh, the, the the appropriations leaders, uh, the chairs and ranking members of the appropriations committees have met a number of times to try to negotiate, reach agreement on a uh, on a spending limit, and ultimately uh, defense and non-defense spending. Uh, but they've they've made little progress. And so the House is just uh, plowing ahead as it usually does, because in the House they can just ram bills through on party line votes, unlike in the Senate. Uh, And so that's what they're going to do. And we'll see these Democratic written bills come out starting next week. But to get this moving, you know, there's no budget in place. And so they had to do one of these budget shortcuts again, um, because they have not adopted a budget resolution that sets the overall spending limits for these bills, which by budget law, they're supposed to do, right, by April. And it hasn't happened because it's a it's a political thicket that they don't like to make members vote on all these f- fiscal policies that, that can be used for them in campaign ads this fall. And they don't actually have to do it. So they adopted a shortcut, Paul. So explain again for folks, what did they do to get this process going without having any budget in place? Well, the, the, the House adopted a, budget, uh, a, a deeming resolution, and a deeming resolution stands in for the congressional budget resolution. One of the main purposes of a congressional budget resolution is to 
set a, um, a, a discretionary spending limit, which is um, enforceable uh, by House and Senate rules. But, you know, as you said, it's pretty, pretty complicated and, and uh, you know, politically problematic process to adopt a budget resolution. So, so they adopt a deeming resolution, which uh, sets that, that spending top line and provides, uh, provides for that, uh, that, that spending limit to be enforced uh, by rules when the, uh, when the spending bills, the appropriations bills, uh, come to the floor. Yeah, it's a cute little phrase, a deeming resolution. I didn't know those existed in the real world, but it it gets around doing a full budget with all the sensitive policy implications of a budget because all this does is deem an overall discretionary spending limit, which is, which is $1.6 trillion for the year. That's all that's in this thing, right, that they passed, but it's enough than to get the spending bills going. Right, right. That's right. Um, and there's no indication at this point that either the House or Senate are going to proceed with a budget resolution for fiscal 2023, uh, which begins October 1st. Uh, there's no indication that they're going to uh, go forward with that. Um, in, in part, you know, in large part because it's an election year and you're not going to get as much done legislatively for the rest of this year because it's an election year and members are going to be turning to, you know, running for uh, re-election. Um, so, um, and, you know, as you mentioned before, um, when you um, when you adopt a budget resolution, um, that, um, you know, that raises questions. The budget resolution is going to show, you know, large deficits going forward and Republicans are going to you know, use that to attack Democrats and saying, you know, you adopted this budget with with high deficits. Um, and then in the Senate, you have the voterama where there are unlimited amendments. Republicans can offer many amendments that are designed to uh, put Democrats on the defensive and uh, use votes on these amendments um, in the in the reelection campaign. So. Yeah, it gets it's it's such a political circus, and that's what Democrats want to avoid right now, particularly in the Senate, where they you know it's a fifty fifty Senate, and it's so sensitive, and 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 partisan tensions are so fraught right now for, for so many reasons, they're not getting along. So um, the last thing they really want to deal with it really is a budget resolution to bring up all kinds of political questions on top of everything else they're trying to do. And so this deeming measure is just the shortcut they've invented, really, to get spending bills moving without having a budget in place, which may or may not be a wise thing, but that's what they're doing. Um, and it does let them just at least get the spending bills going. But behind all that, Paul, is, is an acknowledgement. They know that they still need a bipartisan deal. None of these spending bills can actually get anywhere unless there's a bipartisan deal on the overall spending and all, but, but more critically, this breakdown between how much should be spent on defense and how much for non-defense, that's been, that was the hang up last year that stalled this thing for months and months. You know, we didn't finish the current fiscal year's budget just until this past March, about a half a year late. And right now it's not looking very promising that this new budget's going to get done any sooner. 
because of this hang up, this this huge partisan split now that we're seeing again between defense and non-defense spending, where Democrats really want to push for these big domestic spending increases, where the Biden team says, look, we have to make up for a decade of underinvestments in education, healthcare, environment. And Republicans are really adamant that that Biden's defense numbers are just too low. And they have more ammunition this year, Paul, than they even had last year. And last year was a win for them, I think we should say. The Republicans won that battle. They basically got equal increases between defense and non-defense as they had sought. Democrats finally caved on that in the end. And this year, it does seem to me, Paul, that Republicans have even more ammunition to pump up defense because you've got this soaring inflation rate. And as we tape on Friday, the new inflation rate that just came out, uh, 8.6%. It was higher now than that's a new 40 year record i think since 1981 that that's higher than than economists were even expecting because we thought we had re- sort of reached a peak with inflation and maybe was heading down but now it's 8.6% that's going to that's going to pump up republicans yet again and their argument there is even though biden proposed a little increase for defense i think a 4% increase when you factor in an 8% inflation rate, their argument is Biden's cutting defense, right? So something's going to have to move there. Yeah, that's right. And it'll be interesting to see what the the House Armed Services Committee and Senate Armed Services Committee are going to be marking up their defense authorization bills. And it will be interesting to see what, what number that they use, because if you go back to last year, uh, one of the things that, that, that led appropriators to ultimately agree on a higher defense number was that the, the authorizing committees um, had, had, uh, had approved a higher, higher defense number. So, so that may be an indication of, of where things are going to go. But, you know, looking ahead, the question is, when could they get a, you know, reach a budget agreement, a top line agreement? And, you know, a lot of people think it, it's probably not going to happen until after the election at the earliest. There may be very little incentive for Republicans and, and not even all that much incentive for Democrats to reach a budget deal before the election. Now, Democrats may have more incentive because they may want to show that, you know, they control the House and the Senate and the White House. They may want to show that they, they, they certainly do want to show that they can they can get an agreement but Republicans, you know, are hoping to take over the House and possibly take over the Senate. And they will have more leverage after the election if they've taken over one or both chambers. So, you know, after the election is probably the soonest that you get a budget agreement. Nevertheless, it's possible that in the Senate, the, the appropriations chairman Leahy and, and ranking member Richard Shelby, it's possible that they could mark up some bills ahead of the, of the election. They might reach agreement on, on a few bills uh, like they did last year. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, chances are this is going to be a, a post-election budget. But the process is starting now and the House wants to get moving. And we should say for folks who are down in the weeds on this, on following this, that we're going to have a slew of their of the subcommittee markups this coming week, starting with the defense subcommittee, which is so critical here to this whole debate. 
starting next Wednesday, the 15th, we've got the defense subcommittee, the legislative branch subcommittee, which handles money for Congress, the military construction VA, Veterans Administration, that's a huge one, uh, and the agriculture bill, along with Homeland Security, that's always a touchy one, and financial services, which deals with Treasury. So that's a handful right there. That's about half the bills um, all coming in this coming week. We'll have a good sense then of, of what kind of spending levels Democrats envision. And as I say, particularly what kind of spending level they envision for defense out of their defense bill. That, that That's going to show how much of a fight we're in for in coming months between the two parties and whether the, whether they're coming up at all from Biden's defense request. Right. And David, another thing to look for in the in the markups is um, in the rider issue. Policy provisions that get stuck in the spending bills, right? Right, right. And so last year, you know, Democrats, um, you know, eliminated, you know, eliminated prohibitions on federal funding of abortion and various other things like that, which Republicans opposed. Um, and then ultimately, when the, the agreement was reached on the omnibus, um, almost all of those uh, policy provisions were stripped out, you know, to the extent that Republicans were opposed to them. So it'll be interesting to see whether Democrats sort of repeat what they did last year and, you know, include these policy provisions that are opposed by Republicans or if they moderate that somewhat and, you know, put some of these policy provisions in, but not as many as last year, looking ahead toward a, uh, you know, an ultimate, you know, eventual uh, budget agreement. And I think the, particularly the abortion stuff this year, Paul, is going to, is really going to come to the fore because particularly in an election year, Democrats are going to, are going to want to go on record here because we've got the Supreme Court on the verge of overturning possibly Roe v. Wade, undermining abortion rights, and Democrats are going to are going to want to try to push back, and could possibly use their spending bills to provide you know some kind of to try to make efforts at codifying Roe v. Wade in some way. I don't know. Last year we had that Hyde Amendment that. They, they were going to lift the federal ban on funding for abortions. Ultimately, they had to cave on that. But will they try that again this year with, with Roe v. Wade on the verge of being overturned? All of these things, and you know, particularly as they start to campaign for re-election, that's going to complicate this process even more, I would think. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so you may see new policy provisions, as you said, which are aimed at codifying Roe v. Wade or, you know, something like that. You may see some, some, some different language uh, than we saw in the past. And, Paul, I think the other thing that strikes me is the gun debate. I mean, with this mass slaughters going on, you know, Democrats are really eager to see gun control measures. And, of course, they could always, you know, they've been passing gun control bills in the House, but they could also use their spending bills to insert policy riders for gun measures if they wanted, if only to, to make more political points f- for their side, uh, that's also going to cause hangups with Republicans. And, and it'll be another point of friction here to get any of, these, any of these spending bills done, which I think is all points to why finishing these bills before the election does seem pretty far-fetched at this point. Yeah, exactly. So 
Speaking about far-fetched, Paul, you had another interesting story this week we want to touch on before we go, because also brewing in the background here is this effort to revive the so-called Build Back Better program, this this tax and spending package that was the heart of Biden's domestic agenda last year that he was hoping to pass on a strictly party-line vote through the reconciliation process. And Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, put a stop to it suddenly last December in this huge blow up with the White House. But there's been a lot of chatter, very quiet chatter between Manchin and Chuck Schumer, the the majority leader, hoping to come up with some kind of scaled back version of this bill that, that, that could resurrect it in some way. I think there's still a lot of doubt that that's ever gonna happen. Uh, with everything else on their plate uh, and no deadline for getting this done. But you did find, Paul, that that they're, they are starting to try to put some maybe some contours around how much of this package could pass uh, in downsized fashion. What did you find out there and what, what size of a package do you think we're looking at? Well, they, they've been talking about a, a package that might have about a um, trillion dollars um, in revenue increases, uh, not tax rate increases, but other kinds of uh, taxes. And that would be aimed at, you know, partly paying for the package and also reducing the deficit. And then you would have a uh, Medicare uh, negotiation of prescription drug prices as part of it. Which would save several hundred billion dollars. Yeah, these are all these are all ten-year figures, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These are ten-year figures. Um, yeah. So you would have you'd have the tax piece, um, and then you'd have the the Medicare negotiation piece, and then there would be a climate energy piece as well, which would be various tax incentives to reduce uh, carbon emissions and uh, promote renewable energy. And part of that would, would certainly be incentives for fossil fuel production as well, because Manchin would insist on that. So those would be the, the, the three legs um, of the stool. Uh, so they have been talking about that. But there are other possibilities as well. Um, you know, one that's been discussed is the idea of you do a smaller package, which would make the increased subsidies for the, the premium tax credits to purchase health insurance on the exchanges. There are increased subsidies for that, but they expire. And it would make those permanent. And then it would also have the, the Medicare uh, drug negotiation piece in it. And the Medicare drug negotiation piece, the savings from that would, would more than pay for um, the extension of the, uh, of the subsidies, the health care subsidies. So so that would be another another possibility. Uh, Democrats really would like to extend those those subsidies, and this would be one way to do it. But that, of course, is a much smaller package than what they were talking about last year. It sounds like it could be half the size, it would, you know, of last year's two trillion dollar package, or or even smaller, right? If if they just do a healthcare thing, it would be a lot smaller. Um, I, Democrats really would like to pass something before the election. And so, you know, this would not be nearly as ambitious as what they, you know, wanted to do initially. But, you know, if they could, if the House, if House and Senate Democrats could reach agreement on a package that, you know, that they thought was good and would help them in the election, 
Um, I think they would like to do it. Um, the key is to get Manchin on board, the West Virginia Senator Manchin and Joe Manchin, and then also Arizona Senator uh, Kirsten Cinema as well is, is a big question mark in terms of what she would support. So the key is really, you know, getting those two to agree to it in the, in the uh, Senate, but also it has to be done pretty quickly. I mean, really, they need to get all of this done by the end of July if they re- because they're not they are not going to take this up, um, you know, in the last few weeks of September before the fiscal year ends. So very little time to get it done. It seems like it's looking more and more doubtful, but they are still talking. We will keep tabs on it. You should check out Paul Krawczak's story on that at CQ.com or RollCall.com. It's worth a read to get the latest proposals kicking around there as to as to how much money they're talking about. That's all the time we have for today, though. Thanks again, Paul, for joining me. Yeah, thank you, David. Appropriations get rolling. We'll be covering it all for you, and we will see you again back here next week. Mm-hmm.